Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Jan Christopher Nugent, co-founder and CEO of Noggin, and John Huberman, chairman, CEO, and CFO of Software Acquisition Group Inc. 3. The two announced a $658 million combination agreement in February. The transaction makes for something of a throwback SPAC deal, as John will be stepping in to help steer Noggin as president and co-CEO once the deal is completed. Noggin provides commerce as a service for e-commerce clients, putting their marketing, payments, and shipping processes all under a single umbrella. Jan talks about how the current market conditions have driven a greater demand for efficiencies among e-commerce players, while John describes how the software SPAC team has shifted strategy with the changing market tides in its third combination since 2020. And this discussion does include forward-looking statements, which are not guarantees of Noggin's future performance. Take a listen. So Jan, you've been building Noggin for more than 10 years now. I just want to start by getting into that journey a bit. What was your initial business thesis back in 2010, and how has the opportunity you're addressing changed since then? You know, that's a great question. My co-founder and I had worked for a company that was in the early stages of helping people build out their e-commerce that couldn't do it themselves. And the thesis that we saw happening was that big retail, like the Amazons of the world, were much more sophisticated and it was going to be very difficult for brands to be able to keep pace with that from an investment and sophistication standpoint. So we wanted to just create a platform that they could plug into cost effectively and quickly that could allow them to have enterprise class capability of commerce, uh, even if they don't have the capital and the sophistication to deliver it. Yeah, great. And, and for you, John, you know, what stood out to you as a sign that Noggin had reached that point in its growth and in its story that it was ready for the jolt of capital on a public listing that a SPAC deal would bring? So Jan and Joff and the team had done a fantastic job over the previous eight years on very limited capital, $7 million worth of primary capital, all that's been put into the company. They built roughly a $100 million business from that. And the one place they had starved was frankly go to market. And so while they did build a very strong product with, in a very interesting market, they lacked the capital, in my perspective, to really drive to take a $100 million business into a much, much larger business. And they had all everything but the capital and maybe some additional elements on the sales team to get there. And so that's, for me, coming in as a person who had been a CEO you know, five times previously, I'd look at this opportunity and say, this is fantastic. You know, the, the technology risk is effectively gone. There's really very little market risk. And the execution risk is all around go to market, which frankly, I have a lot of experience and Jan has even more experience than I do. And so this is just a, a great opportunity to inject capital into a business that's going to be able to leverage it and leverage it very profitably. Right. And Noggin services sit in the middle of territory that a number of competing software companies cover at least a piece of. So how has Noggin been able to add on all the functions that it currently has running and centralize them? So it's a good question. I think the premise for us has always been there's a part of the market that's do it yourself, right? And it's like a kit car, right? I buy a chassis and then I hire a mechanic to put the wheels and the tires and the motor. And it's like a hobby. The problem is e-commerce has become kind of like Formula One, where every year you have to actually drive the car faster to compete. And it's just overwhelming. And so we just thought, hey, rather than that, let's have also 
kind of a full utility that has everything. And for those who want that, they can just plug into it and focus on what they're really good at, which for the most part is usually creating products and connecting with the consumer. And they've gotten so caught up in trying to learn how to be, you know, data scientists and technology that, you know, in some ways they sacrifice kind of doing what they're really good at. And then supply chain issues have sort of thrown a wrench in the works for basically every industry, especially within the past few years. But I imagine your clients in e-commerce are hard hit. So how do Noggin services help out in that domain? So it's a really good question. The main difference between enterprise commerce and kind of small business commerce is actually having software to try to manage efficiencies. So it is, how do I bring down shipping costs? It is, how do I bring down returns? It is, how do I sell the product without discounting so much? During kind of the boom, a lot of people were just not caring about those things and they were allowing the growth to happen without the profit. So the truth is with things getting a little bit tougher, it's getting people to have to focus on how do I solve those problems? And because Noggin gets them there much more quickly and less costly, it's actually creating increased demand for our platform. Great. And you mentioned now about how you're handling clients' marketing and shipping. That activity currently brings in a slight majority of your revenue, but it looks like you expect your commerce as a service revenue to take the lead next year. And that cast revenue also accounts for most of the company's gross profit. So how are you driving more business into that sphere? And how are the growth dynamics different on those two sides of the business? That's a good question. So the truth is everybody leads with our cast. So they move onto our platform first, and then they decide kind of like a la carte, do I want mashed potatoes? And do I want broccoli? Do I want traffic driving? Right. And do I want the back end? So what is starting to happen is it used to be that we would not allow them to license the platform alone. We would have it be bundled into the entire platform. And we've unbundled the platform where some bigger companies that would want to run it themselves will just use the platform and none of the other services. And so it's just a waiting of, because we're allowing more clients to do that, it'll kind of create a waiting where the cash revenue will be a little bit higher and the gross margins will go up. Okay, great. And on those margins, I see that Noggin was profitable in 2020 and 2021. But you expect to slip a little bit into the red in 2022 before being profitable again in 2023 with 12% EBITDA margins. Can you walk through a bit what accounted for that dip and, and what you're looking at in terms of improving margins moving forward? Yeah, I think John's made good points over the last year. I mean, the reality is we underfunded sales and marketing. So the whole point of the DSPAC, right, is to get very external, fund that rather heavily. So it's not that we actually have some systemic business problem that's making us kind of dip. It's that we're going to spend rather heavily in the areas that we starved. And the beauty is because the gross margin of the deals is pretty good, you can restore profitability and that accelerated growth in parallel rather quickly. And then just going off of that, Noggin has also kept its own sales and, and marketing spending low at just $3 million projected for 2022. So how have you found ways to be disciplined on expenses like that while still growing? And, and how does that differ from some of your software peers? You know, there's two ways of looking at it. We would say we've been very fortunate that we built a platform and it had enough differentiation in the marketplace to have gotten a lot of word of mouth growth. Other people may say that we should have spent much more aggressively four or five years ago. And if we were, we'd be a $300 million company instead of a $100 million company. I think for us, this was the time. And this is the whole reason for the DSPAC and bringing John is to really 
you know, sort of pour water on it and watch it grow much more quickly. We also like, honestly, that in economic downturns, people wanting to save money and get live faster tends to be more favorable. And we think, you know, we're really going to be able to take advantage of that. And then just speaking of peers, John, this is a software SPAC team's third deal since 2020. How have your own investment criteria changed as the market itself has has gone through some pretty significant shifts over the past two years? Sure. Well, the first answer is it has changed. And it's changed because what SPACers like myself do is we serve the market and the market dynamics have changed. And what people are looking for today, in, in my mind, is real companies are creating real, generating real revenues today and are not cash flow drains. They're actually cash generators. And all of that applies to, to Noggin. We will be generating cash for the remainder of this year post spac We'll be generating cash next year at $100 million and growing rapidly. It's a real business that should be public. You know, a lot of the deals that were done historically were more speculative deals, and those clearly haven't traded well in the market. Uh, in, in today's market, while they may have previously, I think those deals are not the ones that should be done today in the de-spacking. Companies like Noggin certainly do have a place. Great. And for Jan, speaking of the market, and I'm sure just putting this deal together and whatnot, you've now been, in a sense, sort of along the, for the ride with uh, some of the shifts in the SPAC market over the past year. So how did you ultimately come to the decision to go with a SPAC over a traditional IPO or more debt or a private raise or something like that? And just what has it been like being on the other end during the market? We're the class of 2000. Right. The last economic, you know, there was the internet boom and there was a big washout and Google went public in 2000. Right. It was, I think, one of two or three IPOs. So we just want to be the Google of 2022. Um, you know, I think it's um, it's a mixed bag. Right. Was it far more difficult than we thought it was going to be? Yes. Is it rewarding to know that 80 percent of the companies in the SPAC didn't meet rigor and didn't get out. And, you know, it's a tribute to the quality of the company and how stable it was and how, you know, everything was more difficult, right? Because they started to kind of increase the rigor of what was required to kind of get through this process. And the fact that we were able to kind of shine through that process and we're getting out is, you know, it's rewarding. While at the same time, yeah, it was it was difficult. Yeah, but as our listeners know, of course, you know, not all SPAC deals are the same, although I do think the, the financial media tend to lump them all together uh, a lot Correct. of the time. You know, but you know, and one of the ways that this deal is unique is that you, know, you, John, are going to be joining the company as co-CEO. And so kind of as a question for both of you, given the different options that were out there, how important was it for you to have this kind of deeper and longer term relationship beyond the transaction? Yeah, I think John had no intention of coming back and running a company, but I spent a bunch of time with him and I saw he had this incredible energy. He seemed very bored in his retirement. Um, he's a dynamo who absolutely does not know how to fail. Um, I think I share a similar approach to life. And, and we also had the opportunity where going through a SPAC wasn't that easy this time. And so we had a relationship that was tested, not just, you know, sort of in the honeymoon phase. And I think all those things together, I just kept kind of bugging him. And actually one day he looked at me and he's like, are you serious? Or are you just joking? I said, no, 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 I'm serious. After like the sixth or seventh time, he's like, I don't know. Let me think about it. So for me, I'm excited because he's been here before. Right. And I've got pretty good ideas and a vision and he knows how to execute in a way that I haven't been before. So that's why I'm thrilled that he kind of came along. He probably needs to speak for himself on his thought process. Yeah. And I, I am excited to join. And as Jan points out, I didn't need to, but I really wanted to once the opportunity presented itself. It's kind of funny. This is the whole SPAC market 
well, a couple of decades ago started with people like me looked for companies that they could run. Obviously, in the latest iteration of the SPAC world over the last five years, that hasn't typically been the case. But hopefully, I guess I'll be a throwback to what was originally intended. And I like running technology companies, driving growth, creating profitability, shareholder value. And so far, I've been pretty successful that five companies have been at the helm previously. And I have no reason to believe Jan and I won't be equally, if not more successful. Great. And Software 3 has also secured additional capital for this transaction since the combination was announced. I just wanted to ask, you know, because it, I know how difficult the pipe market has been. What's that process like? And, and why did you see it as an important move? So like almost every stack having some sort of pipe financing to backstop the potential for redemptions is important. And what we did going into it, though, back at the end, frankly, started at the end of last year was recognizing that the pipe equity market was very weak. We went straight into the pipe convert market. And again, we're successful in raising a convert pipe for the business that is uh, $65 million and potentially slightly higher. Uh, we'll know in a couple of days, but at least $65 million. And we'll, we'll fund the business appropriately, even at a very high redemption level. Great. And then what would you say is the advantage of being publicly listed that you're most looking forward to? You know, I'm looking forward to the exposure as a company. You know, it's been my experience. I, I think there's two parts. One is if you think about how big e-commerce is market and how few companies are actually pure play sort of public companies, I think Shopify and big commerce and maybe, you know, a couple of international, I think that puts us on a stage that gives us a lot of free exposure in the market. You know, and then I think there's also for some companies, just the perception that if you're not a publicly traded company, you're probably not supposed to be on the RFP list. So I think that the combination of those two are really the benefits to us. And I also would add that to the employees, you know, be, being able to see the fruits of their labor pay off, hopefully on a day-to-day -day basis with the stock price increasing, it, it, it's a different mentality. I'm having run both private and public companies, there's a rigor of, have, of running a public company that just doesn't always exist in a private company, but also an enthusiasm where you can see you know, you, you're scored every day. And then Noggin has also made acquisitions recently. So do you expect to pursue more M&A opportunities following the listing? And what would be the strategy behind that? If you look at our revenue today, it's almost entirely generated by American companies in the U.S. And there's a tremendous opportunity to grow organically internationally. And I expect also inorganically internationally. Then as well as there probably be some adjacent opportunities, whereas a public company will be able to grow the business inorganically by adding adjacencies. Uh, which ones they'll be, it's hard to speculate. Moving over onto the technology side, Noggin is already right on the cutting edge with its AI engines, but what is the next big thing that you're most excited about in terms of innovation in the industry? So for us, where we're really, really focused is people have spoken for years about, hey, if I identify different consumers having different behavior, I can actually deliver them different experiences. But today that's manual. And so it may take, you know, six months to deliver two unique experiences, whereas we're creating an engine that will automatically, along with the content, along with the offer, along with where they are, going to be able to kind of deliver unique experiences depending on the profile. You know, a simple example would be 
if one's in Connecticut and it's raining, they'll see the rain boots. And if one's in Miami and it's sunny, they'll see the bikini. Um, people talk about that, but they can't really fulfill it. We're very close to this being an automated process. And the beauty of it is we'll be able to keep testing and in real time see the effectiveness of it. And the system will start to deliver superior experiences based on its ability to learn. But so we mentioned the competitive field uh, a little bit there. So for John, you know, just looking at the market where it is, and, and you you mentioned how Noggin stands out in terms of the things it's been able to do with its software as a, a completely capital light business. So what were some of the metrics that stood out to you in terms of you know sizing it up against some of the, the big listed peers that are out there? And, and you know, what are some of the, the things that stood out as particular upside as well? So it's interesting when, when people look at Noggin, they say, okay, how are you... How do you compete with Shopify or how do you compete with Magento? The reality is they're adjacent competitors. It's a different modality. We Nobody else really offers what we offer. And for a big set of customers, we are we should be the preferred solution. Not for everybody. You've got uh, Shopify has 1.7 million plus customers. We've got a few dozen. You know, we're looking to create a few hundred. And so I look at that and say, you know, there's so there's thousands of customers out potential customers out there just in the US, forget, you know, internationally which adds a tremendous amount more. Given the underfunding of go-to-market, to me, I looked at those, the metrics I looked at is how many customers do we have to gain to really be a super exciting company and how quickly we can gain them. And given my experience and given what I've learned about the company, I think it's one, it's not hard. How easy will be determined, but it's not hard. Um, there's no rocket science and it's not really that much money. And so I, to me, Adding all that up, a huge opportunity that we have the right to address with not a lot of incremental investment is what got me very excited. Who's the best public company? It would be Globally, which just happened to be up $7 today on a, uh, you know, to $37. And so it's timely, <laughs> uh, but it really is our best comp. And when we talk, it's not, I'm just ma not making it up because it's up today. Um, that's when we always talk about, which is an adjacent company. They do international shipping. For people assist with international shipping and logistics but where we were just a year and a half ago in terms of size so you can argue they're 18 months ahead of us but they now have a five million dollar market cap and we have a you know, five six hundred million dollar market cap in theory ten dollars and when john talks about why they're probably the best comp is what they what they really enable is international e-commerce for people who don't have international stores and the fundamental premise was, yes, a brand could go get shippers in different regions throughout the world. They could get different credit card gateways throughout the world. They could go get fulfillment providers throughout the world. They could do it themselves. Global E just bundled it all together and said, yeah, you could do it yourself, or you could just plug into me, give me a percentage of sale and call it a day. The difference is their gross margins are about 34%, despite their significant multiple. Ours is more like... 57 to 60, because our platform is primarily software, where theirs is primarily taking these elements and kind of squishing them together. So we're solving the same problem slightly differently. Theirs is kind of this international adjacency to our stores, and ours is the core store itself. And so that's why we see it as, you know, kind of the most similar comp, because they're solving the problem in a similar way, just a different problem.
Great. Well, I, I do definitely think it's going to be an exciting company coming to public markets very soon. It's just an interesting deal at an interesting time. And as you said, you know, the, the software space, there's there's only so many profitable new companies coming into the, the public markets right now, which is what the, the market seems to be looking for. So thanks both of you for being on. Yeah, thanks, Thank guys. you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.